Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And this is an encore edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We are welcoming back uh, our draft expert, Tim Bielik, our film expert, Lance Ryzen. We spent the last month having these guys on talking draft. So, of course, we have to take the opportunity to review the Browns draft with them. So, uh, Tim and Lance, I appreciate you guys coming on. We're going to go through all the Browns picks. I got some general questions for you as well. Uh, You know, let's just get to it. Let's start at the very first pick of the draft that the Browns made. It was number 74 overall, Cedric Tillman, a really big, intriguing receiver out of Tennessee. This is probably the best-reviewed pick that I've seen as I looked through some of the post-draft analysis. Tim, Cedric Tillman, what did you think of this pick for the Browns? Well, at first it kind of caught me off guard, the fact that he's 23 years old, and I think that's kind of why, you know, from a Brown-centric perspective, this is a guy that kind of slid under the radar again because of the age, because again, as I've said before, written about a bunch, Andrew Burry's only ever taken one player on draft weekend. It was 23 years old. It was a seventh round pick. I guess now we got to be more flexible with his age guardrails. But I think Tillman was kind of the forgotten Tennessee receiver. And as soon as the pick came across, it took me a couple seconds to process. And I'm like thinking back to, you know, 2021. And, you know, in that on that Tennessee team in 2021, Cedric Tillman was their best guy. About 1,000 yards receiving, you know, 12 touchdowns, had big games against Georgia and Alabama. Last season, you know, he – he only played six games because he had an ankle issue, but you know, the games he played, especially early, he was really good. Got a chance to watch the pit game. Unfortunately, that was the game where he had the two drops, but he also made some nice plays, including, I believe it was the go ahead touchdown in overtime where he boxed the guy out completely in the end zone. And that's what I think Tillman brings is he's got that size and he, and the most important thing is he understands how to use that size. He's not just a big guy who doesn't realize how strong he is. He understands the size he has any place with it. Like I said, kind of basketball type as far as, you know, boxing players out. And if you don't tackle him, he's got a chance to make you pay with some big, good yards after the catch. Lance, Tim mentioned those 2021 numbers. And uh, I mean, they really stand out when you look at it. 12 games, 64 receptions, 1,081 yards, 12 touchdowns. Of course, last year playing with the ankle injury. And it sounded like that was something, you know, the Browns actually appreciated a little bit out of him that that he fought through and wanted to be out there for his teammates, uh, even though he probably didn't have to be um, considering kind of his status. 6'3", 213 pounds a big target, and he does have that one big year of production in college. Well, yeah, and I like his couple things. First of all, he's very he tracks the ball very well, deep ball. So he's a very good deep ball uh, re- uh, receiver. I like his size. Uh, Tim said it best. He's a guy that I didn't really look at too much because of because of the age. So you think about all those top guys. He's I watched the least amount of film on him. So I actually went back and watched some film after the after the uh, pick. I uh, love his ball skills. I love his body control. Um, I, like I said, I love his ability to track the ball. Um, his number one quality without question is his ability, the, the 50-50 balls right now. He he does a great job of vertically of stacking that corner behind him, which is a very um, advanced kind of move to kind of get that. That's what quarterback friendly is because then a quarterback can throw it either in or out because that DB is right behind him. He does a great job with that. You know, you watch him, you know, limitations, he, he, he only runs outside right. He's literally always outside right. He runs a very limited route tree. Um, he's a, like that, those guys are the, especially in college, they're space guys, not route guys. So he's got a lot of route, but he's Tim said it best. He's got things you can't teach. He's long. He's got a great catch radius. He's got big, strong hands. He releases very well, even though he's very big, he, he plays, he's pretty twitchy off the line of scrimmage. Uh, those big, strong hands allow him to get through smaller corners. Uh, very impressive in 2021, but, but I love the, his ability to catch the ball, 50, 50 balls. And I love his ability to track it when it's coming over his shoulder. So yeah, he's, he's pretty good. One of the things I love about the draft is when teams have to show us their cards and the giants showed us a a pretty big card uh, here, right around this pick, they traded up ahead of the Browns to take Jalen Hyatt. So they must've had some kind of Intel that maybe the Browns liked Hyatt or something. No, maybe it was, we don't know if that was correct or not, but they seem to have an inkling that they had to get ahead of Cleveland to take uh, Cedric Tillman's teammate, Jalen Hyatt. Tim, how does, how do Tillman and Hyatt compare? 
I mean, they're two very different players. I mean, Hyatt is a guy that really benefited, I think, from Tillman's ankle injury because with Tillman out of the game, out of the lineup, that's when Hyatt kind of flourished, particularly the game against Alabama I talked about before when he just torched that Alabama secondary over and over again. I mean, Hyatt is a guy who's a true deep ball specialist. I mean, he's a guy who's going to get behind the defense. And we were, we've been talking about receivers throughout the draft cycle that, you know, we thought the Browns might have gone for, you know, quick, speedy guys who could stretch the field. Turns out they were looking at a guy who, in Tillman who's a perimeter guy, and I was listening to you and Mary Kay talk about, you know, Tillman the other day, you know, there's uh, physical comparisons to Josh Gordon. I've seen one to Michael Pittman Jr. Me, I think a comparison to me is a less refined T. Higgins because they have extremely similar size, and they both have a lot of similarities in the way they play. I think, you know, Lance was hitting at, hinting at the limitations of Tillman, you know, he's not quite as refined as Higgins was coming out of Clemson. And that's why Higgins was, you know, the first guy taken the second round in 2020 and why Tillman fell the middle of the third round. But certainly the physical tools are there, just such a different player. And again, it's going to come down to their refinement to let those physical tools really show show themselves. Yeah, Lance, if he turns into, you know, T Higgins, that would be, I mean, that's a guy who's currently a number two, but if he hits free agency at some point, he'll get paid to be somebody's number one wide receiver. Uh, so if that's his ceiling, you, you would absolutely take that from Cedric Tillman. Well, yeah, I mean, he's only going to get better. Like I said, what they do at Tennessee, they do such a good job of the RPO game, but there a lot of their RPO is they do a lot of second level RPO where they're reading those safeties. So that's why they get so many deep balls because those safeties come down on the ground, they throw it over the top. They do a really, really, uh, it's kind of a cool offense to watch because they they take shots for a second. There's not a lot of rhyme or reason in Tennessee. They uh, they vertically stretch it more than most teams. Uh, but yeah, he's got such a, a big catch radius and those big hands and those long, uh, long arms. He's when you watch him when you watch and you know what he does. Even though he predominantly runs hitches, uh, posts, verticals, he'll run a comeback carry, a curl. He has shown the ability to run you know, a smash. He's showing the ability to throw some quick screens. Uh, he's only going to get better because he's going to learn how to do all those things. You can't learn it unless you're athletic. He has all the skills to learn all that stuff. It can't go the other way. So again, I think he's super high value. Tim, do you look at him and see a guy that could be a number one receiver someday? I think maybe number two, certainly a more realistic expectation because I, I, I the thing with Tillman and I think what sticks out about me is, you know, 40 times not great, but I think it's good enough. You know, I look at hit him with the 10 second, 10 yard uh, split, which is a big thing for me. 1.57 seconds is pretty good. Explosive jumping ability. Where I think he's going to excel is, you know, as a primary guy, maybe he's the guy who starts one day for Amari Cooper or Donovan Peoples Jones. Maybe the Browns, you know, looking ahead to 2024, 2025, they'll have to make some decisions as far as their top two guys. But I think he certainly has, has starter potential because. Again, with the size he has, it's rare size. He knows how to use it, and the hands are just tremendous. I mean, looking back to his career the last two seasons, just five drops, and I think two, he only had two drops last season. They were both in the pit game where he where that was, I think, more of, you know, what we've – what the good Cedric Tillman outside of those drops was, you know, coming back, like I said, he had that big overtime touchdown, like I said, where he just – he got in the end zone. Hendon Hooker was scrambling, looking for somewhere to go, and and Tillman just turned turned the defender around. And when you have that large size, large ar- the long arms you do, you can really essentially box a guy out, and that's so hard to get around for most defensive backs. Lance, that should be music to Browns fans' ears, that Hendon Hooker was scrambling – and Cedric Tillman was there for him because that's going to be a big part of the Browns offense. And one of their priorities this offseason has been to find guys who can excel in that scramble drill because that was something that they just didn't have enough of last year. Yeah, that scramble drill is something you work on. So when you improvise like that, that's something you work on in practice. You know, it's a very simple rule, too. If you're short, you go deep. If you're deep, you come come up, and if you're middle, you go the opposite side. So it's very it's very universal at all levels, but something you got to practice. And they they'll get in the rhythm of when Watson's going to scramble. Um, those receivers, that's when it comes down to understanding when there's blitzes, where their blitzes are coming from, um, all the stuff that Watson does at a very very high level that you didn't see a ton of. You saw a ton in 220 that ability to improvise. And when I wrote when I covered when I broke him down for the first time. He does all the you know all the stuff that quarterbacks do, but his ability to throw off you know off um, platform and improvise was what makes him special. And those guys will not only uh, the guys who are there, but the new guys they'll all get used to that now because he's going to be there from the start. So I think it's uh, that'll be a very big part of their offense. Those uh, those off script plays. Okay, let's move on to 
The next pick at number 98, it was defensive tackle Siaki Ika. I'm getting a little better at, at saying that name. Uh, weighs in at six foot three, 335 pounds, an NFL.com comp. This was interesting. Of Danny Shelton, uh, who Browns fans will remember. Lance Zerline projected him as a, a round four or five pick. The Browns get him right at the tail end of the third round. So, Tim, defensive tackle has been an area where the Browns have really focused this offseason, of course, with Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, to a lesser extent, Tristan Hill, Maurice Hurst. And now they had a rookie in Ika who is a huge body and is uh, Jim Schwartz wants him to be a Ferrari, not a dump truck. <laughs> now that he's in the NFL, uh, can he be that in Jim Schwartz's defense? It's kind of interesting because what Ika is right now is what the Browns didn't have a lot of last year. And that's something I've been thinking, you know, that Jim Schwartz has kind of needed, you know, in this entire offseason is get some pluggers in, at defensive tackle. I think they did a good job of that with Dalvin Tomlinson, who's almost 330 pounds of himself. Then you had 335 pounds with Siaki Ika, who actually played about 350-something at Baylor. So that's almost – that's 660-plus pounds of – for lack of a better term, beef that you added to your defensive tackle group. And Ika, for me, is an interesting guy. But way back at the beginning of the process, I thought, you know, he had second-round potential. Actually dropped 15 pounds going into the combine, which I thought was going to help him test well. He actually did not test really well at all. You know, the agility numbers weren't great, didn't bench, didn't jump. Um, 10-yard split wasn't great, 40 wasn't great. I've said before, if you're a defensive lineman, you're running 40 yards in any place, something went wrong or really wrong or really right. But what I think Ika is, is he's kind of fits into a specific box, and that's a guy who's going to take up some blocks. Certainly has the potential to become a better pass rusher. And I think, you know, if he could play at that letter weight and keep him in the 320s, the, the 320s, the 330s, you have a player who right now can, to, can take up blockers and free everybody else up. To stop the run game, I, as soon as I thought saw the pick, I was thinking of it, my mind. You know, Lance talks about you know defensive tackles being quote unquote boring, and I think if, if Iaka is that kind of player, then that's kind of what the Browns are looking for—a guy you can plug up blockers and free up those linebackers within about a year or two. Hopefully, you can do that for them. Lance, is this your kind of defensive tackle? Well, you know, it's funny. He actually at times I would say when I. I looked at him in January 9th. I looked back at my notes and he was, my initial notes, he was 358. So he had, he did lose some weight coming in the combine. Uh, he's a guy that does not fit last year's scheme in terms of being a true plug split, the, uh, split the, uh, that guard, uh, you know, that left foot right on the helmet of that guard. He's not that guy. He, he does that. Okay. Uh, he almost sometimes doesn't play to his size. Sometimes he does. Uh, but what he's going to give you, I think, in a Schwartz defense, that massive size, he likes to blow guy. He had 15 quarterback hurries, which I thought was kind of interesting. That tells you he has the ability to get to the quarterback. Uh, Dalvin Thomas is more my the, the, the boring type where he's actually going to absorb those doubles and anchor in there and turn on doubles and things like that. See, I think Ika's going to have to learn how to do that a little bit. He's a guy who likes to play a little bit lighter uh, than he really truthfully is, and he's got to use that mass. Now, the good thing is when he's in a wide three, that becomes a lot to try to stop him by sheer mass, getting in that B gap and just coming or getting in that A gap if he's the one technique. You know, that's that mass and what, you know, when Schwartz says he wants a Ferrari, that's what he's talking about, getting in a gap and going. That's a lot of man to try to stop. So they have that. But the, in terms of anchoring in there, he does. You, he has it. He's done it. But when you watch on film, he occasionally tries to be almost too much of a playmaker. I know people are like, "That's why would you not want a playmaker?" Well, if you're trying to make the play, you're not you're not eating guys up, and those guards now uh, are now running to your linebackers, and those tackles are coming off the double because you didn't go the right way. And you know, at times you want those that guard that uh, that guard and that tackle to block you, and you want him to, and you don't want to get moved, but you want to be right there. And he he's uh, he has that ability, he has that size, he plays high at times. So the minute you play high, the minute your pad level's high, you're not 330 anymore. You're you're 250, and I don't care what level you're at. And you saw that with the Browns last year in terms of guys who play high because they want to rush the passer. They get blocked off in the run game. So he's got those skills. He's heavy. Uh, he's heavy-handed. He has all those things you want, but he's got to I, – I think he's got to learn to anchor in there. He's got a great guy to teach him. Plus the fact when they're both in there, that's a lot of people you have to stop. That's a lot of mass. And regardless of how good he is, it's just big body. You know, I've been talking about that for a year now. Just big bodies in there. It makes it hard to block and move. And, you know, you're talking two guys now, plus the fact their ends are their best players. You know, it could be a good combination. Tim, when you look at Ika, is, is he a guy that could be a starter day one? Or is he a guy that might need still need some refinement? 
I because uh, I've always felt like with rookie defensive tackles, it's best to bring them along slowly, you know, because you got to learn so much. You got to learn to be willing to sacrifice a little bit, you know, of, you know, wanting to get after a quarterback, you know, all those things and understanding that your best job, the best thing you can do as a defensive tackle, especially for a guy at his size, is to, you know, hold up in the interior and really keep those guards from getting to the second level, cr- try and take on a double team. And if you could do those things, because the Browns particularly have smaller linebackers, maybe they go to a three safety look with Jim Schwartz again as a defensive coordinator. Maybe they do a lot of different things. It's all predicated on just, you know, those defensive tackles holding up in some cases, even, you know, blowing up those run lanes and, you know, swallowing up the middle and forcing those back to the outside where you can let your speed kind of take over. So I think Ika, Ika certainly has a size to start right away. I could understand it. If they don't necessarily have another veteran guy to start opposite Dalvin Tomlinson, I could understand it. Me personally, I I think at least right now, until we kind of see what he looks like at rookie minicamp, OTAs, um, training camp, so we kind of get a look at that, how he's adjusted, I would kind of be a little more cautious with him again, just because the run game was such an issue last year to stop it. And I think you, the best way to do it is just plug some veterans in there. Yeah. It's sometimes it's hard with the way the Browns have had to pick the last few years. Um, you know, the, these guys are their first picks of the draft. So kind of in your mind, you think, okay, this guy's going to be a starter, but then you have to remind yourself, these are third round picks. You know, Cedric Tillman was the 74th pick. This guy was the 98th pick. It might, it might take some time, even though these were the Browns first picks of the draft Lance, the eating up blockers thing is just enormous um, here because I, I've always felt like we talk so much about that end opposite Miles Garrett, but I think those guys inside next to him are just as important. And just having guys who can eat up blockers and make it that much harder to help out with a tight end or, you know, you make the centers and guards have to think a little bit more about those guys on the inside. I, I just think it opens things up for Miles Garrett a lot. Well, especially, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is that when they're in those wide fives and most they're going to be in wide fives more than going to be wide nines because most teams don't run a true tight end anymore or, or not as much. So you think about those wide fives when they're wide, when they're outside the cylinder of that tackle, that tackle now is a free runner. And one of the things I always try to coach with, with especially when you don't have great D tackles at, at the lower levels, is we have to uh, kind of hold that tackle up. The DN sometimes want to hold that tackle up so he doesn't get a running start on his double team to that three technique. So by the Browns, Schwartz, even when they're not in a wide nine, their base alignment was outside the cylinder of that tackle. So those tackles are especially important because they're going to get, a lot of times they're going to get a guard and a free running tackle right at them. And they're going to gallop and they're going to come with the attack in that hip. So they've got to be, um, assuming those doubles are coming, obviously those are things they work on because of the alignment they're in. But especially with the Browns being in that wide three, they're a funnel type team. You know, they want to funnel everything in with those wide guys. They want the tackles to eat up the run lanes, like Tim said. And then kind of if you eat those guys up, you get those guys inside that can run around free and make some tackles. And those guys seem to be able to do that pretty well when they're uh, they're undersized and those guys are massive. So they have to keep they have to keep those linemen off them. The only way you do that is by anchoring in there and being boring. And, I'll, you know, that's, that's what I've said for a long time. And I, I really believe that because that's what allows you to have a good – Run defense. Be boring. Take up blockers and let your guys run. Okay, we finished uh, day two of the draft there, and just like in the real NFL draft, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will start to dig into the fourth round picks the Browns made uh, in the 2023 NFL draft. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Tim Bielek and Lance Reisland. We are reviewing the Browns draft weekend, and let's keep moving along here. We go to the fourth round at pick 111, Dewan Jones, the tackle out of Ohio State. Uh, how's this for a comparison? Trent Brown on NFL.com. That's from Lance Zerline. Uh, enormous human being, six foot eight, 374 pounds. Tim, there's a lot of value in, in this pick. Now, obviously, there's when a guy falls, there's usually a reason he falls. But also, sometimes those guys end up being gems. Where did you think DeWan Jones was going to go in this draft? I thought second round. You know, I thought he had a chance to sneak in the first round just because he's such an athletic specimen. I mean, he's so big. I mean, you're talking 370-plus pounds for DeWan Jones. He's just such a rare physical presence that you just don't see you know, at that position, not only is he big, but he's mobile. I mean, he can move well. I mean, the fact that he was being recruited for co- Division One college basketball 
as a high schooler at that size tells you just, you know, he's not only big, but he's nimble. And I think those are big things to see out of, out of an offensive tackle. So, yeah, it kind of surprised he fell as far as he did, you know, that he would slide all the way out of day two entirely. But, you know, listening to you talk to Doug Lane Maurice right after the draft, you know, what Mary Kay reported, obviously it seemed like teams just weren't happy with, you know, Dewan Jones's pre-draft process. And I think it seems like maybe it was just kind of a misstep in, you know, the process these when you don't necessarily treat it as like a job interview, a, a three and a half month long job interview where everything you do matters, everything is scrutinized because these teams are trying to commit, you know, at least four years of their future to you, pay you a lot of money. In some cases, they're hoping they can be your, you can be their starter for the next 10, 15 years. So in that sense, you know, maybe there's it's you can understand why NFL teams were willing to let Jones drop and drop until the Browns got to the point of 111 where he was too good of a value to pass up. And, you know, if he continues to grow, if he matures, because again, he's still a young man. I mean, it's easy to forget with these, these draft picks, they're in their early twenties. So they're still very young and, there's reason to believe he can mature. If he does, the Browns might have themselves a potential steal here. Yeah, Lance, it does seem like a lot of the the issues with him that caused him to drop were just kind of messing up the pre-draft process, which, you know, concerns me a little bit because he went to Ohio State. And when you go to Ohio State, you're going there to go to the NFL. And they pretty much, it's there. I mean, the runway is there. All you got to do is, is get your plane on it and take off. And he he struggled in that area. So you you do wonder about that. There's the basketball stuff. I, I don't know if I really care about that stuff right now either. Um, but, but were you surprised that he was here at, at one eleven? Well, I am, you know, my concerns with a guy that big is just how the body holds up. You know, the, the amount of weight, it's a tall guy, the amount of weight that the ankles can uh, handle the, the knees. So it's more of a, a, you know, a physical thing in terms of what some of the holdbacks I would think would be when you watch him on film, He's, you know, he's got 36, 36 plus inch arms. His wingspan is 87 inches. His hands are 11 plus. Um, my comp is always for him, even last year was Orlando Brown. Um, and the reason I, the reason I like it comparing to Orlando Brown is that he can do things no other tackle can do. So Dewan Jones can do things. He can actually let people into his chest and then use those massive arms. So in the NFL, they like to use that one arm, that long arm technique. He can invite that and then just use those massive arms because he's so big. So now he doesn't, you know, he doesn't move. He's not a mirror guy. He doesn't move laterally. Super awesome. It's it's really good for a guy his size. But, you know, you can move. You look at Orlando Brown, watch his film. He moves the split out about a half yard. So he's cutting that corner off immediately. So then he's just a short corner and he can he can do that. He can use his football IQ, uh, make sure he's using angles. He's um, and he's just so, you know, for him, it's just getting in front. And I watched an interview with Orlando Brown. He said his first thing he just tries to do is get in front. And when you're six, it sounds kind of simple, but when you're six, eight, you know, pushing 400 pounds, that's, a, it's hard to go around him and, you know, at normal tackle. So he can do things um, that a lot of guys can't do, but that's something you got to have trust in. And that's going to take some time. And there's a process there and all that kind of stuff. So I understand uh, not necessarily why he slid where he did, um, but I like him on film. He's, he's an absolute ma- massive human on film that you just, and he does things, like I said, he will, he will open up his chair. They tell you never to let a guy get his hands on first. He will let a guy get his hands on first and then just use his monster hands and arms and get rid of them. It's pretty impressive. Tim, this is a guy too, that I think lands in a really good situation. Obviously he's not going to have to play in year one. I mean, he might get out there if, uh, you know, Jack Conklin gets hurt or something like that, but um, not going to be expected to play in year one. He's got a great offensive line coach. He's going into a great room with established veterans like Joel Batonio, Jack Conklin, Wyatt Teller, um, guys that have been through it. You know, I mentioned this on a pod the other day. I'm sure Joe Thomas will be around a little bit, especially when, when he's in Canton for the hall of fame stuff. So this is really a great situation for a guy who maybe needs, you know, might kind of need to learn a little bit like what it takes to be a pro. He, he's getting into a great situation for that. Yeah, I think it's a great environment to learn, maybe less as far as, you know, when he's going to get to actually play. I do. I mean, he could be in a situation like, you know, any young tackle where you're one play away from being in the game at any point and you the other thing I've, I mentioned, and you could tell, obviously, you know, watching the Browns a lot, and, you know, the second that pick came out, I was thinking in my mind, you know, you put him on field goal protection, good luck getting around him fast enough because he's big, he's long. I mean, just try and get around him in the time it takes to get kickoff. That's, 
so maybe that's a situation where you can get some early playing time, in my opinion. I think that'd be a good opportunity to start. But, you know, you mentioned the veterans in that room, Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, uh, Jack Conklin, you know, just guys who have been around the, the league for so long, Bill Callahan, you know, one of the best offensive line coaches in football right now. It's a, it's a great spot for him. There's no pressure for him to play right now. So it could be a situation where, you know, he can learn even more, you know, of the technical aspects of playing tackle because some of the good, some of the things he has right now are really good. Even looking at his stats on PFF was not, did not, was not credited for giving up a single sack all of last season, which is crazy to think about. You know, we know the Big Ten is a good, second best conference probably in college football, but the fact you don't give up a sack for the entire season is, is, it's crazy, especially considering, you know, how many times Ohio State threw the football last year with CJ Stroud. Lance, I, I called this an encore podcast for you guys, and so we've got to play at least one hit for everybody. Why is Bill Callahan a great, a great person for Dewan Jones to be around? Well, like you said, uh, you know, we've talked about it. It's my favorite part of practice, and it will be again. So I'm looking forward to being down there for the first 20, 30 minutes every day again this year. And the reason why is because they have a plan, and it's a consistent plan. It's a relentless plan. So when you go down there, it's it's working the sled, working the shoots. It's working inside zone. It's working outside zone. It's working pin and pull. It's working the doubles. It's working the doubles, getting to the second level. And it's over, and it's over, and it's over. So for him uh, and all those guys who are really good, the reason they're good and the reason that guys who have gone, you know, the froholds of the world who have gone in and had success is because of that plan. There's a plan. He sticks to it. They are super professional in terms of like their daily routine. There's never a guy walking. There's never a guy not involved in a drill. There's never a guy they have to call up. There's not a lot of screaming and yelling down there in terms of corrections because they are all doing the same thing over and over and over. So Jones is going to go into a situation where he's going to block zone. He's going to block an odd front, a tight front, an even front, and he's going to do it every day. And he's going to do it every day correct. And they film everything. So every day he's going to do it. He's going to go watch it. He's going to do it. He's going to go watch it. So the reason it's great is because of the consistency of what Callahan does. Callahan, you win with reps. Callahan reps it and reps it and reps it. You don't win by talking. They do it, and they do it over and over and over. And J- Jones is just going to get it, and he'll he'll be really, really good because of Callahan. Okay, the next pick in the draft was a guy that we spent some time talking about, and we actually took him in one of our mock drafts. Uh, number 126 overall, defensive end out of Missouri, Isaiah McGuire, 6'4", 268 pounds. Again, another NFL.com comp from Lance Zerline, who projected him as a third-round pick. Uh, He has Preston Smith as an NFL comp. Tim, uh, like I said, this is a guy that we spend some time on this podcast talking about pre-draft, and I was pretty happy when the Browns landed him where they did. Yeah, me too. It shows uh, we kind of... We got Lily's batted one for seven. So, you know, I'll take that. I kind of, you know, I, I was kind of thinking in my mind, you know, we talked to him going back to Cedric Tillman a little bit. We talked so much receivers, but he was a guy we kind of really didn't talk about because of age. But McGuire, I thought, was a guy who really fit a lot of what the Browns wanted to do, potentially adding another defensive end. I mean, big guy, 268 pounds. You know, he's got about 20 pounds almost on Oboe Caronquo. Guy who's got some burst, you know, solid production in Missouri last two seasons, 13 and a half sacks, 27 tackles for loss. And that's in the SEC. So he's getting plenty of reps against guys from Georgia, Alabama, you know, Texas A&M, LSU, you know, top elite team. So he's gone up against great competition. So he's a guy, you know, when he jumps to the NFL, the competition jump is still going to be high, but maybe not as high as guys who, you know, were in the Big 12 or in the Pac-12 who don't necessarily see those quality of offensive lines on a day-to-day basis. But to me, McGuire is a pretty well-rounded defensive end. I've talked about Burst. He's got plenty of power, enough flexibility to bend the edge. You know, looking at his combine stats, you know, again, an elite 10-yard split, 1.59 seconds. That tells you he can get off the line very quickly. Hands are pretty good. It comes down to technical refinement for me, but it's kind of interesting. They went, there's a similar body type, maybe a little shorter than what they have in Alex Wright, but I like the fact that, you know, stacking pass rushers. Maybe he's a guy, he should be a guy who I think rotates pretty quickly, you know, gets some pretty good playing time. And he definitely has the potential to be a starting defensive end at the NFL level. Lance, I'm, I'm going to admit something here. I'm a little nervous about the Browns' edge rushers past Miles Garrett. Um, I, I think Ober Okoronko has a ton of potential, but you got to prove it over 17 games. And then after that, you've got Alex Wright, you've got Isaiah Thomas, you've got some really unproven guys there. I think McGuire coming in 
and at least contributing to some degree right away is going to be important for this pass rush, unless they add somebody else here between now and, and training camp. What, what do you think of McGuire's potential? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you because I, for a number of podcasts, try to talk both of you out of taking McGuire. So thank you for including me on your team because I was constantly going away from him. Um, really, really good. So Tim talked about him probably three, four or five weeks ago, and I started watching him on film. The thing I like about him is, first of all, he's position flexible. He's 270 pounds, so he can go down that three technique. Again, Schwartz matchup. Put the, walk the backer up on the center. You put Miles at a three technique, uh, McGuire at a, a wide five. So those are the kind of matchup things that uh, Schwartz likes to do. Um, he really, really does a good job of going from power to speed or speed to power. Uh, so Tim made a great point in terms of his bendy. So he's not super bendy, but he's bendy enough. And he's not super strong, but he's strong enough. So what it ends up happening is if he tries to speed rush, he usually gets cut off. If he tries to power rush against some of those big SEC tackles, he usually gets stalemated and he's standing there. But I tell you what, when he starts with the speed rush and then gets into a bull rush or starts with a long arm and then finishes with a rip. So if he goes from speed to power, power to speed, he's pretty dynamic. Again, he's a guy who can do a lot of different things, play in a lot of different spaces. And I agree with you. they got to come up with a guy who has some size. Oboe's going to be good, but Oboe's a 250 guy. Oboe's an outside backer who's going to be head up on a tackle at times or you know on the edge of a tackle. So you know, you'd like to see him in space a little bit more. They need another guy to set the edge because – all the pass rush stuff is great, and Dan, we talked about it last summer. You got to stop the run on first down, and McGuire's a guy who can help stop the run on first down if that's a struggle with Oboe in terms of running weak and getting away from Miles. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great pickup in terms of his length. Uh, he's very twitchy in, on, on film, so he's in his stance. He looks like he wants to play, and there's a lot to be said about that. He seems to enjoy playing. He's got great length, uh, strong. He does everything pretty well. So, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great value uh, for the Browns. Tim, one of the things that, that some Browns folks talked about after they picked him was his ability to play inside and outside. Um, and we've seen them do this before where they like to take their edge guys and move them on the inside on passing downs. Is that something you ever saw on, on film when you were kind of watching him? Um, most of the things I saw were him playing on the outside, but, you know, I can understand, you know, why they want to do that. You know, Ohio State, Larry Johnson is done that in the past called the rush map where you would put three defensive ends on the field at a time and it makes sense to do it because again mcguire is almost 270 pounds you got alex right in the 270s as well if you want to go with a smaller if you want to go with more edge guys i keep forgetting miles garrett's about 270 pounds he could kick inside if you want to something that maybe he needed you could have done more of last season i would imagine could be a possibility this season Jim Schwartz, I think, certainly will get creative. But what I think McGuire brings is versatility to have multiple guys who can do that sort of thing. McGuire could play outside, definitely, because, you know, he's got an ability also to set the edge in the running game, which is something they probably won't have, which Dave and Clowney going elsewhere as much of. So getting another guy who's capable of doing that is huge. And you talked about, you mentioned also the unproven, you know, talent that they have right now i mean that's to me a theme of this draft for andrew barry he's brought in a lot of competition and you know training camp i think in that regard is going to be a lot of fun to watch these position battles because it's going to be very competitive over those next couple of weeks you got a lot of guys playing for spots out there playing for playing time and it's going to be fascinating to see how this you know too deep at defensive end stacks of you know is mcguire the sure three or is alex right you know come far enough in the offseason to really challenge him and to really make that a true battle, and that's going to be very important, is if you have two guys who can be capable number threes, certainly works out well. And if you have two guys who can do that, you can certainly have the ability to move Alex right to the middle and pass those situations. Isaiah McGuire, same thing, because body types are are fairly similar. So no reason it can't work. It just comes down to you know the creativity or defensive coordinator. Tim, when, when you mentioned how much Miles Garrett weighs and you said 270, I mean, that, that sounds about right. But when you look at Miles Garrett, he looks like he weighs about 320 pounds and it's just chiseled stone um, that, that can move like he's 150 pounds. Lance, I mean, do you see McGuire as a guy that, that could maybe play inside a little bit? Well, yeah, breaking down his film, uh, Missouri does a really nice job on defense. So they actually they bumped him down inside in their tight front. So I'm an old school guy, so I call it a double eagle. But basically a tight front, they're covering the center, covering the guards, or at least they're covering the center outside the guards. So he's a guy that moved down on that guard occasionally, uh, especially in their tight front, third and four. He, he moved down a bunch uh, in the Georgia game that I broke down. Um, so he's, a, he's a, a really good athlete. He uses his length very well. So when he's down inside against the guard, 
you can see that the guards are not as good athletically against him. So he's able to use his athleticism. Obviously, in the NFL, those guards will be a little bit more athletic, but his size gives him the chance to, you know, because the bottom line, once you move down to a three technique, now you're now you're in double land and you got to be able to hold up in double land. And so but I think he has the ability to do that because, again, he'll be in a wide three. So he won't be as tight and in the cylinder of that guard. But, yeah, he can – there's a lot of different combinations he's going to get. And one of Schwartz's best qualities, they talk about matchups. What I really like about his matchups is that he avoids doubles. So he's going to at least give you five almost all the time so you can avoid those doubles. And that's important in terms of – even in the run game. So you're going to see those linebackers get blocked, but they're going to be blocked by one. So um, that's what he does really well. So those guys can – every guy they got can win one-on-one matchups. Okay, we're going to take another break, and then we will move on to the final three picks of the draft here that the Browns made this past weekend. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Tim Bielik, Lance Reisland. Let's move on to the fifth round of the draft. And Tim, one of your favorite picks uh, at number 140, the Browns go quarterback. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, six foot two, 203 pounds, out of UCLA, rejoining, at least for now, his former teammate, Demetric Felton on the Cleveland Browns. Why did you like this pick so much? I, you know, I've been thinking, you know, I kind of agree with Mary Kay in the past when she said it's a good time to go for development on a quarterback. I agreed with her. And this was a good draft to do that. Plenty of good players, you know, a quarterback went in the fourth, fifth round. Jake Hayner, I think, was a fourth round pick. Clayton Toon was a fifth round pick, actually went right before DTR did. And I will admit, I actually kind of like DTR more than I like Clayton Toon. And a big reason for that is he, he plays a some he's a dual threat like Deshaun Watson, maybe not always the improviser that Deshaun Watson is, but DTR can really run. I mean, you look at his numbers throughout his career, you know, back to back seasons of six hundred yards rushing. But what where he continues to grow and where he developed throughout his career is as a passer. I mean, every year he kept getting better and better and better, put up a great season last year, completed almost seventy percent of his passes, three thousand one hundred and sixty-nine yards, twenty-seven touchdowns, ten interceptions. So obviously he's got he got a lot better as a thrower in that regard, and I just think you know if you're looking for a developmental backup, one of the best things you can do to try and find a guy for that role is find one who plays in a similar type a similar type of game to your starting quarterback. Doesn't have to be a clone. Doesn't have to be you know a lesser version of that. It maybe just guy just a guy who if you have a mobile quarterback, mobile starting quarterback. Get a mobile backup quarterback so you don't have to drastically change the system. And I think you know obviously going. It, going to another mobile quarterback in DTR. I think it made a lot of sense. And, you know, I just think this is a good bet on the future because, as you know, the San Francisco 49ers showed, you need depth of quarterback just in case because those guys are always one play away from having to be thrown into a game. Lance, what were your thoughts on, on Dorian Thompson-Robinson? It was, you know, I think he's he's if they're going to get a quarterback, I thought he was the best fit. It, you know, in terms of some of the questions we asked later, I was a little bit shocked in terms of uh, taking a quarterback at all. But for me, what, what Tim said to me that all, as a coach, it's that's all reps. So when when the backup quarterback goes in, all other ten guys get to do the same thing, and that's to me is a huge thing. So if you think about like uh, split zone, and you think about these these runs that the Browns do now, they. They're all R- they're RPOs, they're run pass options, they're run run options. They have all these things that they do. Uh, DTR played for Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly is a, if, if anything, he's a really creative uh, NFL style play caller in terms of he finds matchups. They go, if you watch their film, they'll be an empty, they'll be in tw- uh, 10, 20, uh, 21 personnel. They'll be in two tight ends, multi, they motion, they do lots of different stuff. They, they run a lot of empty where he had to make quick decisions. So he does a lot of different stuff. Uh, again, for me, having the backup quarterback allows all other 10 guys to get more reps. And one of my one of my keys to coaching um, was you, you win with reps. So the more reps you can get at something, the better you get at it. And I don't care what level that is, you know, you get better at it. So I think he's a good pick. I was shocked they took a quarterback, but I wasn't shocked they took that quarterback because I think he's uh, his skill set, his athleticism is pretty good. Okay, so it sounds like that's an answer to a later question. So let's let's save a little more of the Dorian Thompson Robinson discussion mm-hmm. then uh, for for a little bit. Uh, so at number one forty two, two picks later, they get uh, they get Greg Newsom's buddy. They go with Cameron Mitchell, the cornerback out of Northwestern, five eleven, one ninety one. Tim, I think the big question with Cam Mitchell is. It, can he is he a guy that can maybe move inside and, and play in the slot? Something Greg Newsom hasn't necessarily wanted to do, even though he might have to. And considering this team has, it appears they have 
three pretty good outside corners already. Is is this someone who can play inside on a defense? I would think so. He's got you know good, better size for the position. Obviously, being shorter, kind of smaller, kind of helps in that regard because you know the Greg Newsom, Martin Emerson, they're both six foot corners. Denzel Ward is is sub six foot, but you know he plays bigger than that because he's just so athletic. And when I look at Mitchell, you know the first thing that stood out to me when I looked up his athletic profile. Absolute tremendous quicks. I mean, his short shuttle time, 4.06 seconds. That's outstanding. That tells me he's got twitch. He's got the ability to maneuver in tight spaces. And when you're a slot corner, when you have to maneuver through all that traffic in the middle, those are good. Those are important things to have. And Mitchell's, Mitchell's got good production through his career. 22 pass breakups from Northwestern in the last three seasons. Got he, he can play outside, I think, but I think his best, best position might be inside. And, this could be a case where, you know, Andrew Berry obviously loves drafting corners. That's now three in the last three drafts he's taken. Different body type than the last two he's taken, no question about it. But, you know, when you talk about, you know, just things you need in a slot corner, Mitchell, I feel like, has some of those tools. Maybe he can maybe he can play both positions. But right now I'm looking at him as kind of a, a nickel-slash-dime corner. Lance in a league that more and more emphasizes the passing game. You can never have enough corners. Andrew Barry has done a very good job of drafting in the secondary. That's certainly been one of his strengths so far as GM. Uh, what did you think of this pick? Well, going out, watching a bunch of film on him, and I, I watched a bunch of film for a couple years on him now, he is uh, much better in press man than he is in zone. He's much better when he's close. Even if he's in zone, he's much better when he's close. Uh, for some reason, when I watch his film, Bob Sanders always pops in my head. He's not that he's not as physical, but he is that type of football player. I actually think he can play some strong safety. He can actually be a Delpit type guy too, if necessary. That's the kind of skill set he has. He's a guy who's going to play. He can play the nickel inside uh, for sure. I see him as a. Uh, I agree with Tim as a nickel dime corner, uh, but he can do a little bit of everything. He closes very well. Uh, he's got really good ball skills. Uh, he's very aggressive. If you watch his film, they bring him on blitzes. Uh, he plays down in the box a lot. There's times he almost gives you a strong safety vibe down there. Uh, when he was down around the box, he gave me that Bob Sanders. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm showing my age here, but I really liked his aggressiveness, his ability. to. Uh, he's just a football player, and his numbers are really good. Like you said, a short shuttle, a short area burst is really good. He's, very, he's an easy, fluid, hip guy. He does all that kind of stuff really well, but he's really physical. He likes to get his hands on receivers. He likes to play the run game. He likes to come on blitzes. He's constantly uh, – causing fumbles. He does a bunch of really, uh, really awesome stuff, really neat stuff on film in terms of flexibility. So not only do I think he can play in slot, but I think he can play some strong safety as well if needed. That's interesting, Tim. Do, do you see that versatility in him? Certainly. I mean, he's a physical player. I mean, I think it was on ESPN when they showed the draft, the highlights on the first thing you see, he's coming off the edge and taking the football right out of a quarterback's hands as he's getting ready to throw. So guys who could play downhill like that, you know, certainly makes sense for, you know, potentially if they want to give him a shot at safety, you know, Lance was talking about Bob Sanders. I I still remember Bob, the Bob Sanders days, how good he was when he was healthy, just how special of a player he was. Um, if he can do the, it's part of, you know, I think what we've seen of Andrew Berry is he values versatility. Guys who can do multiple different things. And, you know, Cameron Mitchell certainly ha- has the ability. Maybe he can fill in a safety in a pinch, can certainly play outside inside corner. Maybe, maybe even a chance in kick coverage where you always want to see if you, a rookie can, you know, make an impact on special teams early in his career. It seems like he's the kind of player you can find a role for and he'll fill it because he's, he's – He's fast, he's quick, and he's got underrated strength also, despite, you know, being only five foot eleven. He's got he's stronger than you would think, based on, you know, watching his film. Okay, so last year the Browns took a center with their final pick. And Lance, I remember you had to scramble to find film on our buddy Dawson Deaton, who ended up missing all of last year with an injury. Uh, don't have to scramble to find film uh, of this guy, but the Browns take another center, uh, this time in the sixth round, number 202 overall, Luke Whipler out of Ohio State, six foot three, 303 pounds, uh, a highly recruited guy. Tim, a little surprising they took a center. I do wonder maybe what this means long term for a guy like Nick Harris. But uh, what did you think of the? Did the? I guess did this pick surprise you at all? And, and just tell us kind of what you can about Whipler. I think it surprised me a little bit because again they drafted Dawson in the seventh round last year. Yeah, I know he's the seventh round pick, but you know. 
just kind of interesting that they've double up on centers in back-to-back years. I can understand it to an extent because you don't know what kind of condition Nick Harris is going to be coming off the ACL. I mean, it's a pretty significant knee injury he had. He missed the entire season after getting injured. I believe it was the second play of the preseason. So I understand it. And I think that's a common theme with Andrew Barry draft picks is you understand each of these picks. I think four years in, you can understand why it makes sense. I probably would have gone more maybe someone in the back seven of the defense, maybe some safety help, linebacker help, maybe even a running back. But I understand, you know, going for offensive line depth, you want to continue to see if you can get another long-term option at center. I know Ethan Postick played very well last season. We saw how different the offense looked the second he got hurt. I believe it was at the Buffalo game in Detroit because of the snowstorm. When they put Yelta Froholt in there at center, the offenses did not look nearly as crisp in the run game as it had the rest of the season. So there's reasons to understand it. And with Whipler, obviously he's got a lot of experience, you know, 26 starts under his belt. What's interesting about him, you know, compared to the rest of the class, is I've talked before about how this is a very old – interior line class this year in particular is very old. You see a lot of 23, 24-year-old guys. Luke Whippler just turned 22 years old on Wednesday, so he's still a young guy. He's got room to grow, still probably needs you know to continue to physically mature, but I think there's plenty to work with if you want to have a guy who could potentially compete for a starting center spot in the future. Lance, a multi-sport athlete. Um, you know, played those three years at Ohio State, left early, uh, was asked about playing guard um, at the Combine, seemed open to it. When I talked to Doug Maurice the, for the pod on Saturday, he's, he seemed to think that Whipler never played guard at Ohio State, um, that he kind of just slid right in at center, which which isn't always the case with, with Ohio State centers. Uh, what do you think of Whipler having watched him, and, and what have you learned about him? Well, he's, first of all, he's, he's... – a lot more athletic. I don't care what his 40 time was. I don't care about any of that. On film, he moves very well. He's an easy mover. So in terms of playing guard, um, it can, can he pull? Can he get out and pin and pull? Can he do those things? He does that pretty well. He's not. It's not It's not hard for him to get out and pin and pull. Uh, what he does really well in pass protection is he sets back. Uh, he works uh, heel to toe. So he's going to get back about a half yard. Uh, very well coached at Ohio State. So he sees things coming at him. He's seen a bunch of different stuff. Um, it's funny that, you know, I, one of the things I heard is that he's undersized. He's 6'3", he's 303. I think he'll play at 320. 6'3", is plenty, I think. Uh, you know, in terms of not playing guard at the line of scrimmage, I looked for, because that's the first thing I heard, I looked for his ability to get to the second level, which tells me he can pull. And really, in the Browns offense, and most the NFL offenses, you're, you're, you're doubling. You're either doubling the one or doubling the three. Now, the double comes from a different spot and different guys are coming off. But the idea of what a double is, and that's what another Bill Callahan trait, when you go watch it, those guys play all different types of positions. They just work double team. So you're working a double team if the guy's inside of you, or you're working a double team if the guy's outside of you. It doesn't really matter who, what position you play. Now, obviously there's things with pass protection and all kinds of, if you're covered, and I, I understand that, but in terms of the blocking schemes, he can do all those. That's not a big transition. I don't care if you played one snap. You're, you're an NFL guy, played Ohio State. It's just where the double's coming from. It's just different people you're doing the schemes with. But, you know, if you're running a counter, the guard's blocking down on a, a, a nose. If you're the center, you're blocking back on the two out of three. So it's kind of just, it's the same kind of – there's a lot of similarities, especially those interior guys. Those guards and those centers, those, those guys are all flexible. I like him on film. I think he's uh, super um, smart. They do a lot of cool stuff at Ohio State up front, and he seems to be the, uh, the kind of the ringleader, the leadership guy in there. So – uh, yeah, I think it's a good pick. I, I, again, I think it's a guy who, um, you know, Tim said his age, he's only going to get better and he doesn't have to be the guy right now. Um, and I think that helps. Yeah, and you mentioned the athleticism. I, I'm looking right now as relative athletic score. Out of 10, it's a 9.31. You know, great burst. That is, you know, 10 yards split, 20 yards split, which matters so much more than the 40. Short shuttle time, great. Not quite at that 4.47 mark, which uh, if you've heard of Josh North from Underdog Fantasy, he calls that the money ball number, where guys who have that 4.47 or faster short shuttle, those are guys that have started the vast majority of their NFL, a large amount of NFL games. Joel Batonio is one of those guys. Is basically the closest thing we could think of to a cheat code. It's not quite there, but it's close. And like you said, you know, being only 300 plus pounds, being a young guy, you would have to imagine, you know, being in a pro weight room for a year is really going to help him get to, you know, a desired playing weight. And like we said with DeWan Jones, just put him in that room, put him in that room. And, and he's, you, he can't help but get better with, with all the, all the guys in there and the coaching in there. Okay. We're going to take one more break. And then I've got some questions to throw at these guys. 
All right, back one more time on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Mobby, Tim Bielek, Lance Reisland. All right, let's kind of recap this draft now in question mode. Uh, favorite pick, Tim? Uh, I I think I would go DTR, although I would not expect him to play a lot. I don't think he'd be more than a spot, spot starter, I think, in the NFL level, just unless he gains, like, you know, 10, 15 pounds, continues to work on his accuracy. But I think as far as, you know, filling a void of a developmental backup quarterback, a guy who can back up the Sean Watson for a handful of years, maybe not just his rookie contract, maybe a couple of years down the road, maybe a guy you flip for an asset later on, kind of like what the New England Patriots did with Jimmy Garoppolo all those years back. I think they got a second-round pick out of San Francisco for him, I believe, back in the day. But DTR to me is an ascending guy. I always talk before how much I like when players play their best football in their senior year. I thought that's exactly what he was doing last season. And I made it a point specifically after he got drafted, I wanted to watch specifically the games against Washington and Utah. The, the Washington game in particular, if you're a Browns fan, you want to get excited about DTR, you want to get excited for what you're probably going to see a lot in the preseason, watch the Washington game. I mean, he was sensational that game. I mean, Washington came into that game, you know, they were, I think top 15 in the country, they had blown out Michigan State to start the season. UCLA barely scraped by, you know, group of fights, you know, like South Alabama and Bowling Green. And on, in this game, Thompson Robinson absolutely dominated. He threw some great passes. You know, he's, he showed some great mobility, some improvisation. And the mobility, I think, was the best part. One time, one play, he jumped clear over a guy, you know, kind of went full Jordan Jumpman pose, which coincidentally is the emblem they wear on the jerseys there. And the other is it kind of shows the agility he has. It's it's a key to the right side. And you think he's going to dive inside, but as soon as he does, he jukes to the outside and two Washington players actually collide with each other and it lets DTR go in for an easy touchdown. So there's a lot to like about his potential to grow and be a backup quarterback. May not be more than that, but you know, nothing wrong with that. That's just it's just kind of how it works out. And as we as we see in the past few years, you need a good backup quarterback just as some just as an insurance policy. Lance, your favorite pick? Well, I'm gonna say up front. Uh, offense, defensive line. I'm going Jones, and I think first, first and foremost, I, I, I like Jones for everything we all talked about. But what I really like is that there hasn't been much competition uh, for Jed Wills and Conklin in terms of you knew those guys were backups. Hudson, all those other guys are backups. This guy comes in with a legit chance at some point to push these guys for playing time and push these guys in terms of um, you know I watched uh, about five games of Jed Wills. Uh, I wrote an article on him last week. And he's really frustrating to watch on film at times because he's so talented, and yet he takes you know sometimes he's he's not a hundred percent. It seems like so you get a guy not you get a guy who can push these guys now maybe a little light a little fire. Not that they need it, not that that room's needed, but I think he brings like legit competition to that tackle spot. Uh, I also like his potential. It's just like Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown was not did not have a good combine at all. Dewan Jones had a great combine. Again, he can do things in pass protection that no one else can do with those long arms and that massive body. So I think he's a guy who can, you know, play right. Uh, I think he's a guy who can eventually play that left tackle. He can, you know, widen his split out there, shorten that corner. And and, and I think he's a guy who down the road will be uh, uh, the starting tackle, whether it's right or left is up, uh, you know, is up in the air. But I think he's going to be have a chance to be really, really good. Most head scratching pick, Tim. I think for me, and, you know, this was a draft I, I graded an A-. minus. I thought this was, you know, Andrew Brady did about as well as he could. But I think, to me, when the Siaki Ika pick came across, I was kind of thinking in my head, okay. Because I under it took me a little bit to understand the pick, to understand kind of what, why it was there. But I think for me... I, there's there's more upside, you know, available at the end of the third round, particularly, you know, out of Tamiwa Adabari, the defensive tackle from Northwestern who went to the Colts at pick 110 right before DeWan Jones went off the board. I thought it would have been an interesting pick just because adding more pass rush depth in the middle of the defensive front. And I just – I don't know what kind of juice Ika has as a pass rusher because we haven't really seen him play at the ideal weight. I think he would probably play in the pros, which is in the 330s. Not saying he can't get there. I mean, it'd be great if some of these guys could go prove me wrong. I mean, I've been wrong on so many guys throughout the years, particularly Jalen Hurts. Um, so I just thought, you know, for – the guy they were picking to me, it seemed one dimensional, at least in the beginning. But then over time, you kind of understand why they made the pick and, you know, why he kind of fits the to, why he kind of fits the role that the Browns might have for him. And that's the thing I've said about Andrew Brace Strass for four years. You may not always agree with the pick right away, but over time and even, you know, in just the immediate aftermath, you can understand why he made that pick. Lance, the most head scratching. 
Well, Ika was mine early, but scheme-wise, he would have been mine if uh, Woods is the uh, D coordinator, just because he's not a heavy guy in terms of always taking on doubles. And, uh, you know, I'm we'll see what happens in a Schwartz scheme. Um, this is gonna, not going to make Tim happy, but my head scratcher is 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 uh, the quarterback, and the reason why is because I think um, they had avail- ability to get um, you know JL Skinner or um, Israel Abadakanda was available, and then my favorite safety was Daniel Scott. So not that DTR wasn't a good quarterback, or not that DTR doesn't fit, and I like him. So the head scratcher was more of what they needed. Again. Um, the quarterback that they got, I think, is the perfect fit. In fact, I, I agree with Tim. I liked him better than the a, a number of the quarterbacks were taken after or before any of those guys. I thought he was one of the Browns. Besides the top guys, he was as good a fit the Browns could get. Uh, but those guys who were available now, obviously, with McLeod signing, the safety is not a big, huge thing. They still don't have a ball hawk in the back. Um, and, you know, J.L. Skinner is the best ball hawk, I thought, on film this year. He's 6'4", he's long. Uh, Daniel Scott, I loved at the combine. I loved his athleticism, just being a pure athlete. Those guys would be more of the free safety types that I still think they still think they need. I know they got some guys who are versatile and can play those positions and play both in front. But a guy who can play that free safety, I thought they, there's an opportunity to get a guy who can make a pretty good impact, especially Skinner, um, especially Scott, and then Abanakanya that Tim talked about that I, I had not watched a ton of. Uh, he's really a good back. So I thought uh, th- those three guys, to me, um, made it a head-scratcher. Not so much him, uh, because I like him, and I think he's a good fit for what the Browns do. Yeah, it's something I've talked about on this pod already, but um, it's nothing against the player, Lance. I-, I kind of agree with you. It's nothing against the player. It is this idea of, did you pick a player with that pick that might not play a meaningful snap for you during the life of his rookie contract now? Maybe Deshaun Watson gets hurt. He hasn't gotten hurt uh, after he tore the ACL his rookie year. He hasn't missed a game other than for the suspensions and when he was sitting out and there was a meaningless game against Tennessee where they sat him. But um, he's been generally pretty healthy. Now, maybe there are new concussion rules you have to consider and, and things like that where they pull guys a little bit quicker, even quarterbacks. So, yeah, the, the I guess for me, I'm a little more with Lance on this one. I just... I understand why you take a developmental quarterback. I like the player. I just don't know if if they couldn't have gotten someone who could be a contributor there. Now, the flip side of that is, one, it's a fifth-round pick. Like, Mac Wilson was a fifth-round pick, and they got nothing out of that. Um, and they picked two picks later. So maybe that was their thinking when they made that pick. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I think it's an interesting pick. It's just I, I was surprised they went quarterback there, too. Uh, player you wish the Browns would have taken, Tim? Um, I mean, I, I was texting Lance through the draft, you know, you know, when the Browns maybe ha- would have had a possibility of trading up in the 60s, you know, Marvin Mims at 63, I think when the Broncos jumped up, I even tweeted, you know, a joke about how the Mims, the Browns dream was dead. Um, I, I don't know if the Browns would have traded up there considering Angerberry didn't make a single trade till the end when thankfully for the press, for the media people, he traded seven round pick. But for me, the guy was actually, you know, fifth rounder. Right after Cameron Mitchell off the, went off the board, Israel Abanacanda from Pitt. I know the Browns, you know, obviously they like Jerome Ford enough that he's the number two guy right now. That's why you drafted him a year ago, showed a lot in the preseason and also in the regular season as a kick returner that he can make some things happen. I just thought, you know, adding another guy in that backfield with dynamic ability, with game-breaking ability, speed like Abanacanda has, I thought they would have added another dimension to the offense. And it felt like, you know, Obviously, the, you understood 100% why they took Cedric Tillman. That makes perfect sense to me. You know, adding a receiver for Deshaun Watson. But, you know, that running back room right now, it's basically just Nick Chubb and Jerome Ford. Maybe, you know, the guy, one of the undrafted guys they brought in, Hassan Hall. Maybe he, you know, sneaks his way onto a roster. Maybe they signed a veteran free and you know, as a number three running back or something like that. I just thought adding another guy in there to really add another dimension to that run game and maybe as a receiver would have probably been a, a – uh, a way I thought, you know, would have made it even better. Lance, who's your pick for the player you wish the Browns would have taken? Well, when Keanu Benton went off the board, I got a, <laughs> I got, I got a, I got a tweet. From Tim said, sorry. So, you know, I, uh, the guy I wish um, they would have drafted, it, it was right there. And he went a couple picks after Josh Downs. Uh, I really liked um, just because I think the NFL is moving to, to this short passing game, this easy yard, uh, ball in space where it's um, the value of a guy who can do multiple things in the slot 
um, and not really route oriented, space oriented. And, you know, my last couple of years coaching really worked on these guys who are really, really good. I used to try to pick their brains is it wasn't a curl route. It was the area where the curl is and, you know, finding these areas and getting these easy yards and these run pass options where there's bubble screens and quick screens, um, you know, with Watson improvising and Downs being a twitch guy and him uh, being able to, and he's pretty good in the red zone, even though he's not a really big guy. So I just thought Josh Downs, that was before I watched Tillman. I liked the Tillman pick, but I, I really liked Josh Downs and he was still there when the Browns picked. So, um, you know, I liked him early. I liked him uh, again on January 9th, which was kind of my first kind of getting into this with you guys and starting to break lots and lots of people down. And I really, really liked him on film. Uh, I thought he was twitchy, sudden, uh, could do so many different things and, and would have been an easy yards guy for the Browns because the Browns still, they still need to figure out, and hopefully Elijah Moore is that guy, they still need to figure out how to get easy yards because it's still a all 11 guys have to do it right on every play. And, and they, it can't be that way because you can't sustain that over the course of a season, which we saw. So I like Downs. I like Tillman, but I like Downs, and I thought he would have been a great fit. Okay, speaking of Elijah Moore and also speaking of Keanu Benton, uh, let's look at that number 42 overall pick. And I'm going to read the names here of players that went from 42. We're actually going to go all the way down to 50 here. Uh, so Green Bay, of course, used that – or the Jets used that pick – to help acquire Aaron Rodgers. So it went to the Packers. Uh, that was Luke Musgrave, tight end. The Jets took Joe Tittman, center. Uh, the Colts took cornerback Julius Brents. The Lions took safety Brian Branch. The Patriots took defensive end Keon White. Defensive back Jartavius Martin goes to the Commanders. Cody Mock, the offensive guard, goes to the Buccaneers. There's Keanu Benton to the Steelers, of course, at number 49. Such a Steelers pick. And Jaden Reed goes number 50 to the Packers. Tim, any of those names stand out to you as someone you would rather have than Elijah Moore? Or would you take Elijah Moore over all those guys? I would take more over all of them just because of what he could potentially bring to the Browns, which, as Lance said, is a guy that could be the easy yards guy that they're missing. I'm excited. I'm very intrigued to potentially has, you know, now that he's going to a situation where he's going to be getting better quarterback play than he did in New York uh, when Zach Wilson was there. So I th- I think his role is kind of what puts him over the edge for me. But, you know, looking at this group in the 40s, a couple guys I do like. I love Julius Brents for just the freakish athleticism he brings. And the Colts just took a ton of athletes. I mean, athletes – for days in that draft. Brents is big and he's incredibly long. I don't know if the Brents would have taken another corner that high, but if he did, Brents is a guy that I liked. I like Brand I like Brian Branch for, you know, his steadiness and the fact that you're gonna get a solid player no matter what. Keanu Benton obviously made makes a lot of sense. He would have been a more of an impact player, I think, a defensive tackle than Siaki Ika is. But to me, you know, especially considering, you know, Felix and DK Zama and BJ Ojolari, the two edges I talked about before, they were off the board for 42. So almost felt like deja vu in a way of, you know, the pick the Browns traded away, you know, for a player ended up it. And the way the draft kind of fell, they weren't going to get any of the guys you would have, we had originally considered for that spot anyway. So in a way it's kind of serendipitous in fact, that it kind of worked out two, twice in two years. So in a sense, Essentially, not you're not only trading the pick for Elijah Moore, but you're getting more and Cedric Tillman out of that. So it's essentially in this slot, you know, it, yeah, Keanu Benton's good, but is he worth both Elijah Moore and Cedric Tillman? I think that's the question that you know also will come out of this. Obviously, if Benton's an All Pro and and Tillman's just okay, we all know what the answer is going to be. Lance, did any of those names stand out to you as a guy you would have rather had than Elijah Moore? Or are you happy with with Elijah Moore? Well, kind of, it's kind of going with Tim said in terms of like what you get now. So I love Benton. I love I loved Jaden Reed. I thought was fantastic at the Senior Bowl. But you're getting a guy who has now has NFL experience who is giving you what you wanted, right? You wanted a guy with easy yards. You wanted a guy who's twitchy. You wanted a guy who can uh, run jet sweeps, those RPOs, ball uh, run pass options, those under routes, those crossing routes is going to be fantastic in those scramble situations. Well, there, none of those guys are going to be as good as Elijah Moore because he's done it now. And when you've done, you know, there's very few uh, guys at any position that come in and just be outstanding. There's very few Jamar Chases in the world. But even in that slot, you, you're getting what you wanted. So, no, I, you know, the guys I would want are, are the Josh Downs and, the, uh, you know, those guys who are twitchy and Jaden Reeds. But I don't think they're as good as Elijah Moore. And Elijah Moore's got a little bit of thickness to him. So in terms of availability for 17 weeks, I think he's going to be available because, a lot of guys who are really twitchy and fast are standing there on the sidelines because they're not available because of injury. So 
I think Elijah Moore is a is a steal. And then when you the the thing that opened my eyes about him is his age. He's a young kid. So yeah, I think it's I think they you know there's some guys. Um, I'm always you guys know this. I'm always about O and D line. So I would not have been mad at Keanu Benton or any of those big boys up front. But I think uh, Elijah Moore is, is the best option. If you'd have said you know where you're going to pick, you got you got the best slot there. It's available right now for what you want. Yeah, young kid and still two years on that rookie deal mm-hmm. uh, left uh, this year and next year. Tim, was there who had your favorite draft? Like when you were sitting there watching, like which team had had your favorite draft? Eagles easily. I mean, I just the I even wrote about when the Jalen Carter pick happened, the Athens to Philadelphia pipeline. It's insane, just kind of how this went along. You know that Jalen Carter fell to them at number nine. You know that things like the Seahawks and the Lions passed on him. That the Bears traded out the chance to get him, and then he falls on number nine. And then Nolan Smith, you know, the edge from Georgia. How did he fall to thirtieth? I mean, I know he wasn't extremely productive in Georgia, but when you have those athletic tools and you're a smaller guy who's elite against the run like Nolan Smith is, how do you fall to 30th? And then, you know, in the fourth round, they they were the third team to trade up. <laughs> Everybody in the world knew they were getting Keely Ringo. Obviously, they get Keely Ringo, so I think that's now five Georgia defensive players from that 2011, 2021 championship team they took off that defense alone, and then you add to it, they traded for DeAndre Andre Swift, so that's six Georgia Bulldogs. I was even kind of joking on Twitter when uh, the Rams took Stetson Bennett that Howie Roseman was starting to slack a little bit. They're like, "Where? come on, Howie, keep picking Georgia, guys. What are you doing here? So I thought they had the best draft. Texans for me, number two, I'd love to double dip to get C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, and for me, third was Pittsburgh. Omar Khan, first draft, looked like he'd been doing it for 10 years with the guys he kept pulling. Nolan Smith uh, at the Combine. I don't even remember who this guy coached for, but just kind of wandering around one night at the Combine, I, I heard someone compare Nolan Smith to Hassan Reddick. And now the Eagles have Hassan Reddick and a guy who compares to Hassan Reddick. So there you go. Howie how Roseman doing his thing. Did you have a favorite draft, Lance? Well, first of all, how good was that Georgia defense in 2021? My goodness, all 11 guys are going to be NFL starters. Like, like impact, of, uh, it's incredible. Um, I had two. One is I liked everybody. I tried to pick two that I one that was obviously everybody knows and one that was kind of sneaky for me. So I liked Pittsburgh's. Uh, I love Roger Jones. I think he's a perfect. He's a mauler. He's perfect. Uh, and then they went total Pittsburgh, right? They got Joey Porter, Keanu Benton, and Nick Herbert. You know, total Pittsburgh. Like you see Nick Herbert coming off the edge, uh, Watt style, and that odd front coming off the outside. So it's like I thought that was an amazing draft. And the draft that I thought was pretty good because I'm a big Jordan Addison fan was Minnesota Vikings. They got Addison, um, they got Jay Ward, uh, they got uh, Kalen Roy, um, and then they got Dwayne McBride late, who I thought was a really good back and, and ran really hard. And, and even though he had a lot of tread on those tires uh, in college, I think he's going to be a good pro. So I thought they had a sneaky good draft too. Speaking of Steelers, one guy, speaking of Georgia, one for a guy who got some permission of the Steelers, Darnell Washington. I mean, I'm not yeah. calling him a unicorn, but if you're going to be as close to a unicorn, in that second tier below unicorn, that's where Darnell Washington is. I mean, good luck trying to defend the Steelers in the red zone. We already have Pratt Fryermuth, and now you throw in Darnell Washington. Good luck with that. There's and there's just certain teams that like and Joey you Porter. Know, yeah, you, Joey, you know, it's just like is that a Pittsburgh guy or what? <laughs> Joey Porter. My goodness gracious. Well, of course that guy was going to Pittsburgh the minute he was born. <laughs> uh, but like. Tight ends in the Steelers, you just know they they know how to develop them and and get them moving. Right, right now, the only thing that can stop the Steelers' offense is their offensive coordinator, which is we'll see how that works out uh, for them because they've been very loyal to uh, to Matt Canada over there. But mm-hmm. uh, very good draft for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, guys, uh, this was great recapping the Browns draft here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, get subscribed on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, and also leave us a five star review, say something nice about us. And also become a Football Insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info on that and to get involved. Uh, Lance and Tim, I appreciate the time. I'll talk to you both later. 